Uh, as we begin uh, this morning, uh, I want to review a little bit of what we looked at last week. We're in the middle of a series called Discipling, Helping Others to Follow Jesus. And last week, we asked and tried to answer the question, what is a disciple? And uh, just by way of review, uh, reviewing some definitions that we landed on last time, a disciple of Jesus is someone who is following Jesus, someone who has come to know Christ as Lord through His Word and by faith and submission to Him, someone who is growing in their relationship with Christ and with other Christians, being obedient more and more day by day to Him, and that discipling the process or that discipleship, excuse me, is the lifelong process of faithfully following Jesus and helping others to do the same is what we call discipling. So a disciple is someone who knows, is growing in, who is going with the gospel of Jesus. Discipleship is the individual process of faithfully following Jesus and progressing in each of those areas of being a disciple. And discipling is coming alongside others, helping them to faithfully follow Jesus. Disciples of Jesus, then, are those who know Christ by faith in Him, through His Word, and submission to Him as King, are growing in their relationship with Him, and obedience to Him, and are going with the Gospel. Now, this is all kind of uh, abstract, and so I want to, uh, uh, as uh, we were talking as a staff uh, this past week, uh, we were having conversations that were helpful to me to kind of visualize what, this, what all of these things kind of look like and how they work, work together. I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a visual thinker, and so those of you who have been uh, with us on Wednesday nights when we're uh, talking about the, the Bible and, and uh, whatever sermon was just previously preached on Sunday, you know that I like to scribble a lot on white. Boards, and that helps me to think, and I know that some of you think that way as well. So if I were to illustrate what discipleship looks like, it looks something like what you see behind me on the screen now. This sort of uh, triangle of relationships between an individual's knowledge of Christ as Lord, their growth uh, in obedience to Jesus and in Christ-likeness, and, uh, and, and part of their function of going to the world with the gospel. Now, each of these aspects of our discipleship, our knowing, our growing, our going, are not uh, uh, sort of cloistered off on an island by themselves. They all uh, interconnect and play with one another. So our knowledge of Christ through his word helps us to grow in Christ-likeness, our pursuit of holiness, our helping of others to do the same. Our knowledge of Christ in his word uh, speaks to our going with the gospel. Our, our growing in Christ leads us back to his word that we might know him better. And our growth in Christ leads us out into the world with the gospel that we know changes lives. Our going in the world with the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus with others, drives us back to the word yet again uh, to know Christ better as we encounter people and questions that we're not exactly sure maybe how the Bible directly applies to. And as we go with the gospel, we are growing in our Christ-likeness, in our obedience to Jesus because he commanded us to do that. Now, as we go on in life, we don't want to, to just stay stagnant. We don't want to stay static in our discipleship. We want to be growing. We want to be progressing. We want each of, uh, of these areas to be growing in maturity in our life. And so this triangle of discipleship, if we can envision it that way, in the life of a true disciple, we'll be, we'll be constantly growing and, and, and expanding in maturity and progress in faith. We will come to know Christ more and more and more as the years go by and we spend time in his word. We will 
come to look more like Christ as we dive into his word and are challenged by it and live in obedience to him. We will grow in our ability to share the gospel as we practice that regularly. And so we won't remain small, if you will, or immature in our faith in Christ, but we will be constantly growing so that towards the end of our life or as our life progresses, our picture of discipleship or, or, or our life as a disciple will be ever expanding into greater Christ-likeness and maturity in following Jesus. Now, what are we talking about in discipling? We're talking about in discipling, coming alongside other disciples of Jesus to help them in this maturing process, to help other believers to engage God's word better, to help other believers to live lives of obedience to Jesus and, and pursuing holiness in their lives more consistently. Coming alongside others in an individual or small group kind of relationship, even smaller than our, our, our Bible studies or Sunday school classes. Coming alongside others to share the gospel with other people, to share our successes and our failures in sharing the gospel and to grow from those things. That is what we're talking about when we're talking about discipling and discipleship. And what makes a disciple. I hope that these images have been helpful to you this morning. They've been helpful to me uh, as I've thought through this and how best to communicate these things with you. We've reviewed the, the definitions of what we talked about last week. What a disciple is, someone who follows Jesus. What discipleship is, the ongoing process of faithfully following Jesus. And what discipling is, helping others to faithfully follow Jesus. Today, we're going to ask and answer the question, who should I disciple? And to begin to answer that question, we're going to go to Paul's letter, second letter to Timothy. Second Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Find your way in your Bibles there. Second Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you may be aware of a stereotype that exists of men who are allergic to instructions for assembly and directions for destinations. These stereotypes of men who are allergic to such things are highly overplayed in our society, I believe. And I'm a living example of this. For instance, I hate the idea of putting together furniture from Ikea and having, left, uh, having parts left over, like a, a little screw or a lag bolt or a, a, a wooden dowel or something. I know they stick extra ones in there on purpose, but it always drives me nuts when there's extra things laying around. I can't stand being lost in a city. I really like when things get done the right way the first time. And while A-type people like me who drive people like my wife crazy can tend to get a little bit too manic about these details, about having everything done the right way, the right time, follow the instructions, doing all of that, I think there's some virtue to having a goal in mind and wanting to get to your destination uh, in the right way and at the right time, safely and efficiently. Now, the way that we go about making disciples of Jesus should also be intentional and meaningful. It shouldn't be haphazard. It shouldn't be random. We shouldn't be flying by the seat of our pants as we're trying to disciple others in their walk with Jesus. We know that we're commanded to make disciples And generally, we have an idea of what a disciple should look like. It's someone who's faithfully following Jesus. We have those parameters in place. But for the same reason that we use instruction sheets and GPS direction systems, we do well to consider before we disciple someone else the kind of person that we should seek to help in their walk with Christ. Who should I disciple? 
Who should I come along in their walk with Christ to help them to grow, to mature, to progress in their life as a disciple of Jesus? That's the question we want to ask and answer today. But even before we answer the question of who we disciple, I think it's good to spend a little bit of time reminding ourselves of why we should disciple. Why should I help other people follow Jesus? You might think that that's a silly question, and I would be pleased if you did. Why should we help other people follow Jesus? Let's look at God's word, Paul's letter to Timothy, Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Stand with me, and let's all read aloud together this morning these two verses, uh, which will be uh, our introduction into what we'll be looking at this morning. Read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 with me. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. May God bless his people as we read and study his word today. You may be seated. So let's ask the first question. Why should I disciple others? Why should I give my life, spend my energy, investing it into the life of another person as they try to follow Jesus? Well, first of all, you should disciple someone else, Christian, because Christ commands it. Certainly Jesus commands us in Matthew 28, the Great Commission to make disciples. We've talked about that almost every single week this year. But if making disciples is lending intentional spiritual aid to help others to follow Jesus, well, then our text today commands us to do the same. Paul says in verse 2 of 2 Timothy 2, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, we know that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired, it's superintended by the Holy Spirit himself. So when Paul speaks in these letters here in 2 Timothy and in our verses today, he does so with the inspiration and the authority of God. So here in our text this morning, God says what you have learned of the gospel, entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Part of our disciple-making, according to Jesus in the Great Commission, is in teaching new believers to obey all that Christ has commanded. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. We should seek to invest intentional time and spiritual effort in helping others to follow Jesus because it is a part of our obedience to Christ. Why should you spend time discipling others, Christian? Because Christ commands it, but also because Scripture commends it. Scripture says this is a good thing for you to do. Now, there are several places that encourage mature believers, maturing believers, to set the example for others in the New Testament. There are several that are listed in your worship guide this morning. I hope you'll make time this week to go and read through those passages. But I want to look at just one. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and our students Our youth will know this verse well. As Paul writes to Timothy in his first letter, he says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. Set them an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, in truth, anybody can fake all of these things for a camera or appear to have them from a distance. You can fake Speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, you can fake those things from a distance. But up close, the charade quickly washes away. 
mature believers should live their lives in the context of other believers and maturing believers in such a close and intentional proximity that they can see that others can see the real results of the gospel up close and personal. Now, I can set an example of of speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity from the pulpit every Sunday that you all would see. But the better example, the more lasting example, the more true example, is the one that I set in my home beginning on Sunday afternoon and continuing until Sunday evening the following week. That's the better example. That's the example that I need to set in all of those, not just to be focused on setting an example of, of what a mature believer looks like for 45 minutes or so on a Sunday morning, but every single minute of the day, every day of the week, mature believers, Christians, need to do the same. This is not just instruction for, for pastors, for those who are leading the church, although Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor, when he says that, but this is instruction that is for everyone. It is good for all of us who are maturing believers to set an example of speech, conduct, love, faith, purity to those who are new in their walk with Christ and growing in their walk with Christ. Now, there are also several places in the New Testament where the New Testament writers exhort, they encourage younger Christians, growing Christians, to imitate the examples of more mature brothers and sisters in Christ. So on the one hand, there's the example where God speaks to those who are more mature, saying, hey, set an example for those who are younger and who are growing. And then on the other side, God also says, you who are growing in your faith, look to those who are mature Christians among you and follow their example. Again, we have many... um, Many instances of this type of exhortation in the New Testament, but we'll look at just one again. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, through 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, where there Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything that I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. He says, Then be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul's encouragement to the church at Corinth here in these verses was that they would imitate him, that they would follow his example. Now it's ultimately to their benefit to follow the example of faith and leadership that Paul gives because Paul is ultimately following Christ. Now, we who have never seen Christ but know him by faith, we have matured as disciples of Jesus in part through the examples of those that we have who are older than us and more mature in the faith as well. Just by show of hands, how many of you would count uh, in part your growth as a disciple of Jesus, your knowledge of what it means to live a life following Christ because you had good examples in your life of older believers? Good. Now, how many of you are seeking to set, don't, not by show of hands, but rhetorical question, how many of you who just raise your hands are intentionally, on purpose, seeking to set an example, not just for your peers, but for those who are younger than you, for the next generation of believers? How many of you are going out of your way, like those that you knew when you were young, went out of their way to invest the gospel into your life? How many of you are doing that for the next generation? If those who we are learning from present a balanced and mature picture of consistent growth as a follower of Jesus, like Paul did for the church at Corinth, then we too will prayerfully have grown into well-balanced, maturing disciples. But listen, 
Church, if you are content, Christian, if you are content not to invest your life in helping others to follow Jesus, you have implicitly, if not explicitly said, I am content to let my discipleship die with me. If you are content not to invest the gospel and your faith and an example of discipleship to the next generation intentionally, on purpose, you are content to say, I am fine with the gospel dying with me. The imperative is that stark. Why should we disciple others? Because Christ commands it. Because Scripture commends it. It is a good thing to do. It is a right thing to do. But also because we see throughout the course of, uh, uh, of Acts and, and throughout early church history that it is normal for the church. Why should I disciple others? Because it's what Christians do. How many times have we seen over the course of our study in Acts this year, Paul, Barnabas, Timothy, Priscilla, Aquila, Philip, Peter, Silas, and on and on and on we could go with names of people that we have seen all of these making time, taking pains, being intentionally inconvenienced to strengthen the church, to teach the gospel more accurately to help others in their obedience to Christ. Friends, it's all over the New Testament. We literally do not have time to explore all of these instances today. How could it be then that what was commanded by Christ, what is commended by Scripture, what is normal for the early church be, be not commanded, be not commended, be, be abnormal for us? Surely it must be. Making disciples must be our command. It must be the thing that Scripture has commended to us. It must be the thing that is normal for us, church. Surely we who follow the same Jesus as Paul, Barnabas, Timothy, Peter, Priscilla, Aquila, Philip, Silas, Stephen, we who follow the same Jesus have all the same motivation, we have all the same commission that the earliest disciples of Jesus did to make more disciples. What was true for them is true for us. What was imperative for them is imperative for us. So then, in this morning, I'm speaking to Christians. You who call yourself a disciple of Jesus, you who have repented of your sins and trusted Christ alone for your salvation, you whose heart has been brought to new life by the Spirit of God in you when you placed faith in Jesus Christ, disciple of Jesus, you will, if you are a faithful disciple of Jesus, obey him by prioritizing disciple-making in your own life. Disciples of Christ will obey Jesus by prioritizing disciple-making, intentional investment in the life of other believers in your own lives. Why should you disciple? Because Christ commanded it. Scripture commends it. It's normal for the church. And you know that as a disciple of Jesus, it is your duty to be obedient to Christ and make disciples. So now let's ask the second question. You're all thoroughly convinced that you must make disciples. You know that it is not a question or a suggestion, but that it is a command. And now you want, all want to be faithful to do it. And I'm so glad that you do. And now you're asking the question, that's great. I want to be faithful. I want to be obedient to Jesus. I want to make disciples. I know that it's what he has commanded me to do, but I don't know where to start. Pastor, who should I disciple? And that's a good question to ask. And here we're asking the question, essentially, who should I help to follow Jesus? We're not asking the question, who should I help to look like me? Who should I make into a miniature version of myself? No, we are asking the question, who should I help to look like Jesus in their own lives? And often we start 
talking about disciple making. And, and when we start talking about disciple making, we invariably leap to the assumption that disciple making is only a thing that we do for and do with other Christians. But is it really biblical to only help those who know Christ to follow him? Well, certainly not. All through the New Testament, we find that the work of disciple-making always begins with bringing those who are not yet following Jesus into a place where they can answer the call to follow Jesus and to begin their journey as a disciple. So, should you disciple other Christians? Yes. Emphatically, yes. Should you disciple non-Christians? Yes. Emphatically, yes. But just know that the way that you go about discipling a non-Christian or a not-yet-Christian versus a Christian will be essentially different. For the non-believer, your discipling in their lives will, is clearly, will clearly be in the area of continually extending this call to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Someone who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior by repentance of sin and faith in Him cannot be growing in a relationship of Christ-likeness with Jesus and with others, right? just doesn't follow. If you're not united to Christ by faith, you can't grow in Christ. If you do not yet know Jesus, it is really, really hard to share in any compelling way the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you are discipling a non-believer, the bulk of your work will be in saying, dear friend, brother, sister, whoever you might be, cousin, mother-in-law, you need to know Jesus. That will be the bulk of your discipling with a non-Christian. But for the new or the maturing believer, a believer the next generation below you, who you are desiring to see carry on the faith into the future, for them, your, disciple, your discipling is going to, going to be focused on coming alongside them as they mature in their knowledge of Christ in their growth in spiritual disciplines and obedience to Jesus, coming alongside them in their intentionality to go to non-believers to extend that call of the gospel to follow Jesus. It's that picture of that expanding triangle of discipleship that we saw as we began. You coming alongside someone else, helping them to make progress in each of those areas of their discipleship. So as you ask the question, who should I disciple? I want to give several, ten factors, helpful factors to consider as you ask that question to begin thinking about uh, who the Lord is leading you to invest your life in intentionally. First of all, the first helpful factor is prayer. You should be praying regularly for God to bring you to opportunities to, one, share the gospel with non-believers. Extend that call to follow Jesus. Praying regularly, God, give me opportunities to point people to the hope and comfort, the peace that is in knowing Jesus Christ through repentance of sin and trust in Him. And you should likewise be praying for God to bring to your mind other maturing believers, those who are younger than you or maybe newer in the faith than you, to invest your time and your spiritual energy to help them thrive as disciples of Jesus. You're praying one prayer in essentially two ways. God, bring me somebody, somebody to share the gospel with, somebody to help grow in Christ. Now, Christian, don't pray these prayers if you do not want an answer. Don't pray these prayers if you don't want an answer. Don't ask God for opportunities to share the gospel if you really, in your heart of hearts, don't want to share the gospel. Don't ask God to bring people to your mind who you can invest your life in as fellow followers of Jesus if you really don't want to invest your life in them. Because if you pray and you ask for those things, God will answer it. 
I promise you that. Prayer. We need to bathe this entire process, our whole lives of pouring ourselves out for the gospel of Jesus and the glory of God should be bathed in prayer that we might know God's will and follow his direction faithfully. Now some more other practical things. As you consider, who should I disciple? First of all, a family member or a child. Start at home. The most obvious place to begin sharing the gospel and helping new believers to develop as disciples of Jesus is within your own family. So, parents, you are to be, know this, you are to be the primary evangelistic and discipling agents in your children's lives. Not the church, not your kid's Sunday school class, not Praise Factory on Wednesday nights, not their private school education uh, at a Christian school where they have teachers who know Jesus. Those are not your children's primary evangelistic and discipleship influences. You are. God has given it to you, mothers and fathers, grandparents, aunts and uncles, to be those who are pouring into the spiritual lives of your children first and foremost. And if you don't do it, do not expect to see much change in your children's lives. Parents, set an example. Grandparents, you have more potential for impact and for guiding, uh, uh, being a spiritual guiding force in your grandkids' lives than their Sunday school teachers ever will. I promise you that. Christians, we must embrace the gift and responsibility that we have to lead our family members, our children, even our own parents and and parents-in-law and cousins, to lead all of them to faith in Jesus and maturity in him. This is the easiest, most obvious, most most influential way that we can be gospel uh, ambassadors in the world is to those that God has given to us as family. Men, let me speak primarily to us this morning. It is incumbent upon us, Christian men, those men who know Christ, who want to be like him, it is incumbent upon us to set the tone for our homes. So if you find that your children are, are rebellious and fighting against everything that you command, we, you need to ask yourself, do they see in my life submission to Jesus and obedience to him? Or do they see in the way that I live my life rebellion to Jesus and, and a resistance to him? Christian man, or, or Christian husband, Christian father, are you setting an example for your wife, for your children at home? Certainly we must. It begins with us. God has designed it so. So let us lead and let us love our families like Christ loved the church, pointing them ever and constantly back to him and to the relationship we must have with him. Third, who should I disciple? Consider discipling another believer. Also pray about sharing the gospel with non-believers, but Look to disciple, to come alongside someone who is already growing in their faith. And when it comes to helping others to obey Christ daily and to apply the gospel to every part of their lives, to be constantly changed by it, this is greatly facilitated when it is done with other believers. It's just, it's a lot easier. It makes a lot more sense. Consider then, it's quite difficult to teach a non-believer the importance and practice of daily confession and repentance of sin if they do not yet acknowledge that Christ is Lord and that repentance is necessary, right? Likewise, it's far more appropriate to model and to teach consistent gospel sharing with another follower of Jesus than to try to convince a non-believer of their need to proclaim the gospel. Because the most important thing in a non-believer's life is not yet to proclaim the gospel, but to receive the gospel, to be changed by it, to trust Christ. So, disciple another believer. Fourth, a fellow church member. 
helping a fellow church member or the child of a fellow church member has the benefit of helping both individuals, both you and they, to begin from the same convictional starting point. Now, you won't be butting heads in this sort of relationship over the nature of the gospel, the proper mode and intent of baptism, or when and how spiritual gifts should be exercised. Right? If you're beginning with a fellow church member, we're already together as members of First West, uh, covenanted together around a certain statement of faith, the Baptist faith and message, the 2000, the most recent uh, edition uh, from the year 2000. We're covenanted around that as our statement of faith. We're already in communion, if you will, around that statement of faith. And so we, there are a lot of the major issues maybe uh, between denominations and among different groups of Christians are already taken care of in our discipling relationships if we're discipling someone who's in the church already with us, a fellow church member. And on top of that, fellow church members have already committed themselves to one another as members of the same church. So we're not just committed to the same faith, we're also committed to the same faith family. How wonderfully wise of God then, isn't it, to put next to us, in the seats next to us this morning, in the same rows that we are sitting in, people in front of us and behind us. How wonderfully wise of God to put next to each of us uh, every week people that we know and love that he has also called us to follow Jesus with and to help to do the same. You're asking the question this morning as a Christian, who do I invest my life in to help follow Jesus? Just look around the room. I'll give you 150 suggestions to begin with this morning. Begin with prayer. Look to your family uh, or other family members who don't yet follow Jesus, to your own children. Seek to disciple another believer, a fellow church member. Fifth, someone of the same gender. I shouldn't have to say too much about this for all of the obvious reasons. It is good for men to disciple men. It is right for men to disciple men. It is good for women to disciple other women. For all of the obvious uh, sinful inclinations of our heart and ways that the world would like to twist things or way that Satan would like to pervert things in our own hearts. Uh, Disciple someone of the same gender. But also at the same time, consider this. Young women must have godly Christian women to model Christian womanhood for them. And young men must have godly Christian men to model Christian manhood for them. Now look, my mother is a good and godly woman, but my mother cannot teach me what it is to be a Christian man. She doesn't have any experience there, but my father can. Older men in the church can. Older men in the church throughout my life have, and I thank God for it. Someone of the same gender. Then, sixth, Consider age as a factor. Consider age as a factor. The Christian faith has prospered over the last 2,000 years precisely because older Christians have taken up the responsibility of leading, of modeling, of teaching, and helping younger generations to know Jesus, to grow in their obedience to Christ, to take the gospel to the next generation. And as we said before, then, if you are perfectly happy to only grow in maturity with people your own age or within your own peer group, then you need to face the reality that you have made up your mind. You have made yourself content to see your impact for the gospel die with your generation. Dear Christian, disciple, help us disciple the next generation. There there is a generation of believers coming behind us and young people who do not yet know Christ, who need to have godly examples of, of discipleship Uh, that they can not only see but learn from and be in relationship with. And if we will not invest in them, we ought not to expect them to want to be invested in Christ on their own. We must 
disciple those who are younger. Seventh, consider someone different from you. It's very easy and, and almost automatic for us to, uh, at first blush, to, to uh, or, or with knee-jerk reaction, to um, uh, go after and invest in those who are like us. And people who are like me will be other uh, suburban white men in their mid-30s. But if I only spend my entire life with suburban white men in whatever age I happen to be as time goes by, my life is terribly uh, myopic, isn't it? It's, it's very one-dimensional, is it not? We know that the reality of heaven will be that there will be no white church, there will be no black church, there will be no Latino or English-only speaking church. But the whole church of Jesus Christ, which, as John writes in Revelation, is made up from a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. So then, Christian, pray and ask God that he would stretch you, that he would make you uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel in someone else's life, that he would stretch you as a disciple of Jesus by leading you to invest your life in someone who is ethnically, socially, politically, linguistically different from you. Learn to mature in Christ, arm-in-arm, Christian, with diverse people now so that you can all the more enjoy worshiping Christ with them forever. The picture of the church in eternity is is a diverse church. Let us give our lives now in creating a diverse church on this earth and preparing for worship with Christ in heaven. Disciple someone who's different from you. Get a little bit crazy with it if you need to. Find someone radically different from you. Eighth, look for teachability. For both you and for them, for both of of you in this relationship, you and this younger believer, teachability. Now, often when I have in my life helped uh, to disciple others, to come alongside others as they're growing in Christ or, 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 or fleshing out the call of God on their life, in those relationships, I have found myself learning far more from them and in our time in the Word of God together than I suspect that they have ever learned from me. Those times with younger believers were incredibly instructive and formative for me as a disciple of Jesus. Maturing believers must exercise humility and teachability, knowing that God often teaches us through those that we least expect. So you, more mature Christian, seeking to help a a maturing Christian in their life with Christ, you need to be teachable. You need to be ready to learn from someone who is younger than you, to be challenged by the zeal of a young believer Humble yourself to learn and be encouraged by them. But younger believers at the same time, you who are full of vim and vinegar, that's an old way of saying a lot of energy. Younger believers who think you're in your, your maybe your late teens, your early 20s, and you think you know everything. You may know a lot, but you don't know everything. And you won't know as much or have as much experience as an older, more mature believer who is investing their life in you. So younger believer... And here, in some some ways, I'm speaking even to myself. We need to humble ourselves to learn. We need to humble ourselves to learn from the knowledge, life experience, from the wisdom, from the perseverance that older believers have displayed over a lifetime of following Christ. As we enter into discipling relationships with others, we need to be teachable, all of us. Because God works through often unexpected people or the least expected people 
to bring about change and to teach us things, to challenge us in life. So mature Christian who is seeking to disciple someone, be teachable. Young believer who is seeking to be discipled by someone else to be helped in your walk with Christ, be teachable, be humble. Allow them to speak into your life. Ninth, look for a desire and a faithfulness to teach others. And here we return again to our text that we began with this morning where we have this command from God's word to teach others the faith that we have received. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul speaks to the importance of of wanting to teach others. We read there again in verse 1, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's, there's a desire and a faithfulness to, to replicate the faith, if you will, all throughout these verses. Beginning with Paul, who himself has a desire to teach the gospel to Timothy, who Timothy is then commanded to teach other faithful men who will desire themselves to teach more still. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. We should look to teach those who desire and have a faithfulness to teach others. Now, in truth, there is no one who is not worthy of your time and your energy spent in leading them to Christ or helping them to follow him diligently. There is no one who is unworthy of your time and your energy to help them here. But we are called also to be good stewards and good managers of the time and the gifts that God has given to us, Christian. So as you're praying for God to bring to your mind someone to engage in this process of following Jesus, pray that God would bring you someone who wants to absorb what God would teach them through your time together in his word. So that they may then, after having absorbed so much of Christ in the example of others, then be brought to to desire to wring themselves out into the life of someone else. Pray for someone who wants to be taught that they might teach others. Consider again your own discipleship here. Your own process of following Jesus. Are you the follower of Jesus who is soaking up all that you can in weekly worship and daily Bible study and time with others so that you can squeeze out every drop of Jesus that you have absorbed for the good and the growth of others? Or are you just soaking up and soaking up and soaking up and soaking up and soaking up? You know what happens to sponges that you never wring out? They get nasty. You leave a sponge in your kitchen sink with the water running and then you shut the water off and you don't ever wring out the sponge. You come back like five minutes later and there's this strange slime that has like already in just five minutes covered the whole thing. Sponges are meant to be wrung out so that they don't get nasty. Christian, you have been designed by God to be wrung out regularly for the sake of the gospel and the growth of others in Jesus to wring yourself out, to spend time, as you spend time soaking up what you're learning from God and his word daily in your personal Bible study. And, and weekly as you gather with other believers and, and, and are learning in Sunday school and small group Bible studies and here in worship, soaking up, soaking up, soaking up, that's not a bad thing, but it is if you don't ever wring yourself out into the life of another who needs to absorb, who needs to learn, who needs to grow in Christ the way that you have over the past week's events. Are you consuming? Are you absorbing that you might wring your life out into the life of another? Or have you been content to consume, 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 consume without ever regularly and sacrificially giving of yourself for the spiritual good of others? 
Ring yourself out, Christian. Ring yourself out in the life of somebody else who wants to ring their lives out into someone else, who will want to ring their lives out into someone else, that the faith may continue. Tenth and finally, consider proximity and schedule. And this is probably the most practical of all of the ten. You may be able to give five hours a week toward personally discipling others. Maybe you just have a ton of time. You may be retired. You may be, uh, uh, um, you may be a, a homemaker or stay-at-home mom. You may have a lot of time during the week to be able to give to discipling others. But you may only have two hours every other week, including driving time to give to others. You may have a very full schedule with family and work and ways that you're serving in the church. You may not have as much time. Consider the best way to use that time for the glory of God and the growth of others. Now, there may be a young man or a woman from our church who lives in your neighborhood, but they might work nights and you work days, and so discipling them may, not, may be a difficult option because your schedules are so opposite. Like, proximity is close, but schedule is a mess. We live on completely different clocks except for Sunday morning. I can't, I'd love to disciple that person. They live close to me. Um, it's someone that God may be calling me to, but may, we just can't ever get time to get together. But there may be another brother or sister who doesn't live very close to you, may live on the other side of town, but works nearby. Or maybe you work at the same place and meeting to read the Bible and talk about obeying the Bible over lunch or over coffee once a week is a very viable option for you. In either case, you know that God has given you time to steward, to manage for his glory. So pray that God would give you wisdom and to bring those to you that he would have you invest in that would help you to manage his good gifts of of time and talents and opportunity to his greatest glory. I can't answer all the questions of proximity and schedule for you, but you need to pray and ask that God would give you wisdom about how to implement those things. Ten things to consider as you think about discipling others. Prayer, a family member or a child, another believer, a fellow church member, someone of the same gender, considering age, somebody younger than you, someone different from you, maybe radically so. Teachability for both of you. Both of you must desire to be taught and to learn and also a desire and faithfulness to teach others. Look for that in those that you are seeking to help follow Jesus. And then lastly, consider proximity and schedule. And as you consider all of these things, Christian, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly for God to point you to relationships that allow you to be obedient to the mission of making disciples. Pray earnestly that God would lead you. If this is a command, if the why should I disciple is already answered for us, if we already know clearly why we must, because Christ has commanded it, Scripture commends it, and is the normal life of the church, we know that we must be obedient. So then let us pray about who. Let us spend our time in praying earnestly. Who, Lord, who? Who would you send? I know this morning, I know this morning that God has people that he desires to place on your heart today, that you might come alongside to say, hey, I'd like to get together and just read the Bible together, maybe, maybe uh, once every other week or so, and just talk about your life and, and pray together. And Pastor Stephen's talking about discipling. I'd, li- I'd like to see if we, could just, if, we, if, if we could try that out together. There's someone in our church family or someone in the close proximity of your own family that God is leading you, Christian, this morning to consider 
spending your life in. And in a moment, I, I want to spend some time responding in prayer to God. Asking God, give us wisdom. Show me, direct me, point my life. But listen, you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian and all this talk about being a disciple and discipleship and discipling others, all that seems really foreign to you and it sounds like we're playing, you know, semantic word games and that sort of thing. Here's the most important thing you need to know today is that Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, gave his life on a cross to pay for your sins and your rebellion against him. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead three days later to secure your right relationship with God if you would just trust in him. Jesus is extending to you, dear friend, a call to be his disciple today, to follow him to enter into the kind of life that we're talking about this morning, of growing in your knowledge of Christ and your obedience to him and and in your sharing of that same life-giving gospel. But you can't enter into that relationship with him, into that, that life of discipleship until you trust Jesus for the first time. And so this morning, as we'll sing a time of response, if you feel the Lord calling you, saying, follow me today, saying, dear friend, I'm reaching out to you. Hear the gospel. Know that I've paid for your sins. Follow me today. If, if the, your answer in your heart to that call that God is, is placing upon your life this morning is yes. Yes, I want to follow Jesus. I don't know what all that means yet, but I know I have no other choice but to follow him. I must for new life now and in eternity. Then you answer yes today by boldly stepping out of your seat in just a moment as we sing a song of response. You come and I'll be standing here at the front. Grab me by the hand. Let me know that Christ is calling you to follow him today and that your answer is yes. And I would love, it would be my privilege, my honor to pray with you as you give your life to Jesus this morning. But before we do that, church family, let's enter into a time of of quiet prayer together. It's going to be silent. It's going to feel awkward. But I want you to ask God to begin to show you those who he is calling you to invest your life in. They may be in your family. They may be sitting right next to you this morning. They may live across the street. They may be sitting across this room. But pray and ask God now, God, I want to be obedient. Who are you leading me to pour my life out into that they might do the same with others? You pray now.